there were so many different families I worked with, but one one stood out. Um, she was a pregnant mom and lost her husband. Now I remember just staying with her and, and many, many families like that. You don't, you didn't even have to talk, just hold her hand. Couldn't just be yourself anymore. It couldn't just be one person. You couldn't just be you and your family. You had to think larger. You had to, because if something like this happened again, it, it, the only way to stop it is for all of us to be combined as one, to, to look at things no longer as just me, but it has to be us. You're listening to an American Red Cross in Greater New York podcast. The September morning in downtown Manhattan began just like any other late summer day. The cloudless sky was bright blue, and the city was moving at its typical, faster-than-light pace. There was no inkling that mere hours later, New York, and the country, would change forever. But as a terrorist attack left smoke rising in place of the iconic Twin Towers, thousands of lives were lost and first responders rushed in to help survivors. For many, it was the most devastating day of their lives. Welcome to the third season of our podcast, where we provide a behind-the-scenes look at some of the emergencies that shaped our city and our country. I'm Olivia Kozlevkar with the American Red Cross in Greater New York. I'm joined today by my colleague, American Red Cross Communications Officer, Michael DeVolpierre. Today we will look back at 9-11, exploring the experiences of a few of the Red Cross volunteers who were inspired to join the organization in the wake of the horrific attacks. Each of these individuals remain active members of the Red Cross today continuing to provide help and hope to those in need. First, we will meet Long Islander Sal Montoro, who's still an active Red Cross volunteer today. He was in Long Island City at the lumber company where he worked when the planes first hit. That day, it was started just like any other. And when that first plane hit, we had the radio on. In our backyard behind our, our lumber yard is a perfect view of the two towers. So walked out to the back, and there I found like four or five of our people sitting there staring. So I look at that. Somebody hit one of the buildings and there's smoke coming out of it. I was like, that's crazy. So I walked back inside, maybe like, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, somebody was like, somebody hit something, hit the, the second tower. At that point, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Went out the back and saw both of the towers on fire. And then uh, subsequently left the office, drove over to a... A friend of mine, because I know my my sister-in-law works right next to the towers, and as I was driving, sitting, watching these two towers, I watched as one of the towers fell. Thank God my sister-in-law got out, running down the street and and walked from downtown all the way up to the 59th Street Bridge, which is a long walk. And I picked her up at the bottom of of the Queen's side. She walked over. Of course, the day after I found that one of my best friends was in, uh, uh, was in the tower, uh, was in uh, Canna Fitzgerald helping to put a uh, cabinet up that morning. Uh, his job had sent them there just for the day to, to, to put the one cabinet in. Sal's company quickly mobilized to support recovery efforts in Manhattan in the wake of the attacks. While he was delivering lumber one day near Ground Zero, he was first introduced to the Red Cross. One day, uh, maybe like a week in, I was helping to unload a tractor trailer, and I do not know how to drive a forklift. I lost control of the steering 
and the steering ran at it, just spun around and ended up slicing my hand open. I remember seeing a Red Cross tent set up. At the time, I did not know what Red Cross meant. And I was able to walk in with my hand tied, uh, wrapped up in a towel. And I said, you know, I, I got cut and they took me right in. There was a bunch of nurses. There was a doctor there. And they started patching me up, cleaned up the wound, wrapped it, uh, gave me water. And I was like, okay, where do I pay for this? They were like, this is the American Red Cross. This is all, we're all volunteers. But, you know, between the Red Cross doing that and the loss of my friend, I said yeah, I needed to do something. Sorry. And that's the way it's been. I always keep uh, his picture with me in my Red Cross bag. It reminds me why I'm doing this. Ultimately, you know, we lost, I probably knew maybe 15 people that, that, that passed. So that thought itself uh, made, made things uh, change in my life, my, my, the way I look at things. It was a change everywhere right after 9-11. I mean, even in traffic. Uh, you drive in traffic. Nobody blew a horn at anyone. When you put a blinker on, you wanted to cut over a lane. People slowed down to let you in. I'd never seen that happen before. It's just that everyone, it wasn't just me. Everyone became a little bit more caring because they knew that, you know, 3,000 people died from this area. So people didn't know whose brother or sister or friend or cousin was in the car next to you. You couldn't just be yourself anymore. It couldn't just be one person. You couldn't just be you and your family. You had to think larger. You had to, because if something like this happened again, it, it, the only way to stop it is for all of us to be combined as one, to, to look at things no longer as just me, but it has to be us. And the organization, the Red Cross, was a perfect place for me. I thought it was a perfect fit from what my mentality was. Next, we will meet native New Yorker Richard Sanford. He remembers first hearing about the tragedy at a high school in Brooklyn where he worked. He was tasked with helping his young students grasp the event, all while processing it himself. Well, when 9-11 occurred, I was teaching in high school. I was at uh, a school in Brooklyn, a school Brooklyn-Queens border, actually. It was Grover Cleveland High School. And I was right in the school when it happened. At that afternoon, that same afternoon, my last class of the day, uh, I, this was a foreign uh, an ESL class, English second language students. I didn't know English too well. They were new, newly arrived immigrants. And I told them they're gonna hear some terrible news, terrible news. And that the towers had come down. I explained to them carefully. I saw one boy was very, very nervous, very shaken up. And I said to him, are you okay? He said, my mother works in that building. And I said, oh my God. I said, what time does she go to work? He said, five o'clock in the afternoon. And I remember saying to him, she might not have a job tomorrow, but you got your mother. And that stayed with me forever. I'll never forget that. But I knew the seriousness of the event, and I wanted to volunteer for the Red Cross again, since I was a kid and I remember the Red Cross. So I joined the Red Cross at the Brooklyn um, headquarters. We had the headquarters right across from the Brooklyn Bridge. And I joined the Red Cross then. They had a, a quick orientation. They were desperate. You know, they really needed people. And my job was to shuttle people from the Brooklyn headquarters at that time to the 9-11 site, what they call the Ground Zero site. I would shuttle people from out of town uh, to the site and then back to their hotels. But I had a, a weird experience, you know, as a New Yorker, I know New York very well. I'm native, uh, born here and everything else. And I remember going across the Brooklyn Bridge and saying to these people who were from out of town who had never been to New York, 
I'd say over oh, there's the Empire State Building, that's the Chrysler Building, that's the, and it's such a weird feeling because here they are volunteering for the Red Cross in a very serious situation. And at the same time, you're sort of like being a tour guide. So it was a very strange feeling. There's a balance between the, the, the situation, the, the, uh, the, the situation that you have to take care of and the time that you're not there, that you go back to your hotel, you go back to your shelter, whatever you do, and you want to know, where am I? What's the situation here? So I felt that that was also an obligation of mine to let people know uh, where they are, give them a little perspective about New York City. It was a very uh, sad time. It was a difficult time. Uh, I, we couldn't wait for the city to come back to life. You know, you really wanted it, it to come back. We would see the signs in the subway station and it would be very sad because you'd see missing people and pictures of missing people and it really hurt. You just didn't want your city to look like that. At the same time, the buildings had burned for quite a while, several weeks the buildings had burned and that oh, the smell of the building burning it just stayed with you, it probably still stays with me today. And I remember the day that that happened, the sky was the bluest blue I had ever seen. And I call that, in my opinion, wow, that's a 9-11 blue when I see a sky that's so beautiful. Then, a few months later, when everything was solemn in the city and quiet, and all of a sudden the taxi would punk the horn and say, move that car, get out of here! I say, thank God our city is coming back to normal, because that's what made it feel so good. I, I never felt that I would leave the Red Cross since 9-11. I never felt that I would leave it. I, I felt at, at home. You know, as a kid, I was with the Red Cross as a volunteer, as a teenager, and then uh, I, I came I came back home again, say the 9-11, so it's very meaningful to me. Unlike Richard, Carmela Grande, a nurse and resident of Upper Manhattan, was out of the country for work on 9-11. As the tragedy unfolded, she followed events closely from her hotel. As soon as she returned to New York, she began a Red Cross journey that would last 20 years. When the incident occurred. I was in New Zealand and uh, we were uh, in the hotel room when we got a phone call from my roommate's niece who said, turn your television on, turn your television on. Something's happened in New York. And uh, there we saw 9-11 happening and we were going, oh my God. This is terrible. And the people in New Zealand were so wonderful to us. In our hotel, we were down in the hotel. They had us watching TV and they were uh, comforting us. And so I got back to the States and decided I, I wanted to help and volunteer. They were looking for people to help. I was a nurse and I said, you know, I'm here I could help as nursing. And they said they didn't need any nurses. Oh. So I said, I'll do anything. So I started filing and I was filing documents. They said they had a position that I could uh, work nursing with, uh, I think the nurse was from California at that time. It mm -hmm. was down in Brooklyn. I worked there for a while. And then they wanted people on nights. So I said, sure, I'll work nights. And that was at a college down by 9-11. And my job was to um, make beds for the workers. 
because the workers would come in and rest mm. and then we would have to change the linen and prepare for the next person to come. I made more beds than I made in my whole nursing career because they would come in and rest and leave and then come in again. Whatever I had to do, I did. During the nine-month recovery and cleanup operation at the World Trade Center, many thousands of workers transformed the vast mountain of tangled steel into an excavated pit. Carmela recalls comforting many families of lost loved ones who would gather there. When, I, when we were down in the pit a lot, because they let us, they let us go down there to be with the um, families, and um, there were so many different families I worked with, but one one stood out. Um, she was a pregnant mom and lost her husband. And I remember just staying with her and, and many, many families like that. You don't, you didn't even have to talk, just hold her hand. But the, but the clients, the clients were always very grateful to to see us there, to talk to them and everything. I don't know, you can't take anything for granted. You just have to be thankful for everything you have, you know, because you never know, you know, you could be in a same situation, some type of a situation. I think it's the clients that Want, want to keep you going, especially in um, nursing. It's always a helping profession. And, you know, we're there to help them in crisis. Georgine Gora, born and raised in New York, watched the first plane hit from her apartment in Brooklyn. Because of her family's longstanding roots in downtown Manhattan, the tragedy was deeply personal. And within hours of the attacks, she was volunteering with the Red Cross. I am a New Yorker, Brooklyn born and raised. My family had a business for 90 some odd years on Wall Street. It's a ladies clothing store. So uh, we're deeply connected to that area. I'm a doctor of social work. I taught in many universities and lectured throughout the country, including the United Nations. So when it happened, like I said, I had a private practice also. Uh, I knew physicians in the emergency room in Manhattan. And on 9-11, they called me and said, we're not getting anybody. Uh, and, and the Red Cross is asking for mental health workers. So I called, they picked up, got through, and they said, can you get down to the, you know, the Manhattan or Brooklyn Bridge? I said, yeah. Working on Ground Zero, just, you know, leaving from the Red Cross office in the Red Cross vehicle, and people on both sides of the street, crowds of people applauding. I mean, I still get choked up in my heart. Police officers were talking to me. These were, you know, young police officers. Um, I mean, this is 20 years ago. Uh, I was 52. I wasn't a child. And you have a cop who's like 25. And, you know, he's asking me. He just wants someone to talk to. And, um, you know, it's a Red Cross philosophy, and I kind of agree with it, even though I hadn't been trained yet. Um, you just listen. You don't have to 
solve the problem. You can't solve the problem. Just listen. That's what people want. I want someone to be there with them in, in their time of need, in their time of pain and suffering. And you have to be strong enough to be able to absorb their pain and suffering. You know, they, as, as you know, they, they were putting their loved ones' names and, you know, pictures on, on, on the wall. Um, and they were helping each other because they all knew they had lost someone or couldn't, you know, find someone. And the way in which people came together and the way in which people from outside of New York looked at us quite differently. You know, we, we had that, you know, people think like, oh, you know, they're, they're rough and tumble and, you know, they won't say hello to you and all those kinds of things. And it kind of broke down that notion that, you know, uh, we're no different from you. We're the same. I think what the Red Cross has, has, has brought to me is that a greater understanding of what it is to be a humanitarian, what it is to be a human being, and what it is to truly love one another, strangers. It's a great example of how to build community. They were looking at my skill set and what I enjoyed. And they were finding things within the Red Cross, and there were so many things to do, um, that I would fit into, that I would be good at and enjoy. And uh, that's why I stayed. I take every day uh, with a sense of uh, deliberate wanting to accomplish something, um, being grateful, always a sense of gratitude. Um, that I was able to, um, even though, you know, we were all affected by it, I was able to grow from it uh, and mature from it in, in, in ways that, uh, you know, you, you can't even imagine because you wouldn't know, how do you know how something like that is going to transform you? But it will transform you if you let it. Everyone throughout the country and people even from around the world, and especially every New Yorker, came together with open arms and open hearts. And it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter your status. It didn't matter your race, your religion, your gender. None of that mattered. We were all taking care of one another. And maybe at this moment in time, we should rethink doing that again, like all coming together. Like Sal, Carmela, Richard, and Georgine, thousands of Americans put their lives on hold in order to volunteer their time with the Red Cross and countless other organizations to support relief and recovery efforts in the wake of 9-11. To all who did their part to help our great city heal, we offer our deepest gratitude. And to all still grieving, we offer our heartfelt thoughts and compassion. This episode was produced by Michael DeVolpierre and Olivia Kozlevkar and edited by Olivia Kozlevkar and Chi Kong Lu. We'd love to hear more from you, our listeners. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please share, like, subscribe, or leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform. We hope you'll join us for our next episode coming out in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening, and let's continue to look out for one another.